welcome to my VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk to veterans in the central Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Leese, your host with Greg Tucker. And we have with us today a veteran from the Dayton area, John McCants, an Air Force veteran and owner of a service-disabled veteran-owned small business. Uh, Great to see you here today, John. It's a pleasure to be here, Scott. Thank you very much. And we are uh, very pleased to have you with us today. Uh, John's going to tell us a lot about McCants Consulting Group, but before we do that, we're actually going to put you to the test. Ruh-oh. Yes, it's time to play... Wait, wait, don't tell me. I think I know that. Uh, the <laughs> game where we put our guests to the test of their military knowledge. Oh, goody. And yes, absolutely. And a game where our listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutia like ours is. Uh, are you ready to take that challenge? Well, I don't think I have an option, do I? No, you don't. You're stuck. <laughs> That's right. It's time to put you to the test here, John. So your first question of the day is, uh, it's all about actor Jimmy Stewart. You know Jimmy Stewart? I do. It's a wonderful life. Absolutely. Uh, uh, he retired from the Air Force. I don't know if ever, if anybody knows that or not, but he actually was an Air Force veteran. Do you know what rank he retired at? Would it be Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel, Brigadier General, or Major General? I am going to go with... Brigadier General. Correct answer. He knows his trivia. All right, that's that is that's the correct answer. And did you know what uh, career he was actually in while he was in the Air Force? He was a pilot. He was a pilot, but also, do you know what he retired out as? His job. Yeah. What is job? What, oh, what no. was he doing as a Brigadier General? Well, I know he retired out of the Air Force Reserve. Believe it or not, he was working for Secretary of the Air Force Public Affairs. Well, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And we'll be talking a little bit more about public affairs because I think uh, that's near and dear to John's heart. Uh, But, uh, yes, he retired as an Air Force Brigadier General working for Secretary of the Air Force Public Affairs at the Pentagon. Okay, here's your next question. What year did the Air Force issue their first Santa Claus sighting? Now, do you know about the Santa Claus sighting? Sure. Uh, that would be... Uh, would it be 1950? Yep. Okay. 1948? 1901? Or 2000? I'm going with 1950. 1950? Are you sure? That's your final answer? Yes, it is. It's the wrong answer! <laughs> oh, no. On December 24th, 1948, really? the Air Force reported that one of their radars wow. had detected, quote, one undone- unidentified sleigh powered by eight reindeer at 14,000 feet heading 180 miles an hour. It's a heck of a tailwind. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, This was the uh, one-time event promoted that is now famous uh, yearly by NORAD as the Santa Claus tracker. So your next question. You ready for this? I am. Okay. What event happens every year to honor Air Force legend Brigadier General Robin Olds? Now, I had no idea. This is a toughie. I got to admit, uh, here I'm an Air Force veteran myself. I've never heard of Brigadier General Robin Olds. Oh, but well, okay, is no. it uh, okay, go ahead. facial hair February, mustache March, or no shave November, or jolly June? Mustache March. Why would you guess that? Because I know that's the right answer. It is the right answer. <laughs> 
Triple A's pilot and Air Force legend Robin Olds is widely recognized by his trademark mustache. In celebration of his defiance, servicemen in the Air Force grow mustaches during Mustache March as a good-natured protest against facial hair regulations. So what did he win, Greg? John, you have won a set of four Dayton VA industrial strength chip clips designed by NASA's aerospace engineers to keep your chips crisp on your next stellar space journey or wherever you may be traveling in the near future. Compliments of the Dayton VA. Well, thank you very much. Not to be operated by children under 10. Really? Well, really? They, they are industrial they strength. They do look industrial. Do, in that, do right? not do not get your fingers caught in those. Okay. Uh, we warn everybody. You know those. The, actually, those come in handy. So thank you for that. They I come in it. very handy. Yeah. One of the one of our most popular items of the Dayton VA. Who knew? That's Who right. knew? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break here before we uh, come back and talk to John about his uh, experience with uh, his business. Tonight, nearly forty thousand veterans across the country are homeless. These men and women have pledged to serve our nation, and now we must serve them. Landlords across the country have helped make significant progress in reducing veteran homelessness by making housing available, but there is more that we can do to bring our veterans home. Visit www.va.gov homeless to see how you can get involved. And if you are a veteran and you are experiencing homelessness, please call 877-4-AID-VET. Thank you. And we're back with John McCants, an Air Force veteran and owner of McCants Consulting Group, which is a service-disabled veteran-owned small business. Tell us, John, tell us all about uh, your organization. Well, it, uh, it's an interesting story how, it, how that evolved. Uh, I had come back from my active duty. I'm, I'm one of these uh, Air Force careerists that have been active duty, reserve, reserve technician, back to active duty, you know, bounce back and forth between active duty and reserve status in various forms. So I left the Pentagon in uh, 2004, and I came back to reserve status. I had hurt, actually, that's why I'm a service-disabled veteran. I had banged up my ankle really badly in uh, while I was on active duty. And uh, I had to come back and have some surgery and physical therapy. Uh, so I was parked, if you will, my uh, personnel file. I was transferred uh, to the Air Reserve Personnel Center until such time as the surgery was completed. So I needed food with my meals. So I, uh, you know, I dusted off my resume, put it out on the street, and I got hired rather quickly by uh, AT&T Government Solutions. And I worked in the defense sector for AT&T here in Dayton. Uh, they have offices in Presidential Drive. They had two groups here t- at the time, a, a engineering group and an intelligence group. Well, at that time, this was 2005 through 2008. At that time, the, the uh, AT&T was going through this merger with Singular and Bell South and another several other companies. And I was actually hired and presented with my presented with my severance package all at the same time. And this is my first experience in the private Hired sector. and fired? No, no, I was just okay. So I was hired, but during the hiring process, they they also showed me my severance package. And I looked at the individual that was ultimately became my boss for the time I was with AT&T and he, I said, you know, I I've, I've been in a uniform since probably probably close to 20 years. And I said, so coming into the private sector is this normal to get the, you know, to get your offer and your 
your goodbye package all at the same time. And he says, no, he says, but unfortunately the way that AT&T works and the way that this, with this merger occurring, you're going to be considered part of the sales force. And unfortunately, once the merger's complete, you're going to be the ju- junior guy <laughs> in the sales force for AT&T. So we know that's coming. And as much as we'd like to say that you're going to survive that, you're not. So here's your, here's what you'll get. So sure enough, you know, in 2008, uh, called me up on the phone. He said, guess what? And I go, oh, I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> he says, yeah, your package, uh, you know, your last day, something in June. And then in, and that package basically was a five or six month package. So pretty much well took through the majority of 2008. So again, I dust off my resume. Uh, and at that point, one of the things that had happened while at AT&T uh, pretty much throughout my entire Air Force career, all I carried was a secret clearance. Yeah. So working at AT&T, it was upped, and they sponsored through the National Air and Space Intelligence Center, a top secret SCI. So the the silver lining of that experience was it upped my uh, security clearance, and that make that that is a significant jump in salary in the private sector. When you can, when you can put on your resume, you have an active security clearance, and especially if you have an active top secret, and then you add SCI, special compartmental information, on top of that. Honestly, that's about a thirty thousand dollar bump in salary right there alone. So it that was, and you had that as a salesperson. Well, I really wasn't a salesperson, Ah. but yeah, the the construct within AT and T was to. if they didn't know where to put you, they put you in sales. They had acquired the government solutions practice about four years earlier because they wanted more government work. So, so they they hired they basically bought a company in in uh, Northern Virginia, and that then became AT&T Government Solutions. Well, then they infuse it with all these individuals from the corporate AT&T world that know little or nothing about government contract work. So they hired people that did understand that, did under, could speak the tribal language, did understand what the programs were and things like that. There was no uh, plug and play where to put these people other than say, okay, we'll make them sales. So yeah, so I was a salesperson with a top secret SEI clearance. Uh, we had primary, our, our customer base was uh, heavily, heavily, the National Air and Space Intelligence Center. And then we had some work with the Air Force Research Lab. And we had one person that was working over at the Air Force Institute of Technology. Anyway, that ended. I actually went to Greene County to the, um, and talked to the veterans office there. They helped me tweak my resume a little bit. And then I put it on the, you know, the social media platforms that you put resumes on. Like I said, June, I was done at AT AT&T. And by the, about the end of June, I started getting hits from a uh, headhunter. Turned out to be uh, a company, uh, Schaefer Corporation, which is a uh, privately owned at the time, employee-owned small business. Now, the grand small business was 200 people, but they were in Albuquerque, Washington, D.C., and Chelmsford, Massachusetts. We had a very small office in Dayton, and they hired me to be the marketing guy. So again, kind of the, the majority of our work was NASIC, National Air and Space Intelligence Center. We had one person at AFIT, and we had 
a contract with the, uh, what is the Life, Mag- Life Cycle Management Center now for the Air Force. And uh, that went on until 2012. And then sequestration hit. So they award you a contract and they'll give you, uh, but then they'll issue you a task order on that contract. And the task order is for usually no more than 12 months. So I had about 14 people that worked for me there at Schaefer in Dayton. And of those 14, the 11 of them were PhDs. They were literally, literally rocket scientists. I mean, really rocket scientists. Couldn't understand how to make coffee, but they they could tell you within a a meter or two where a ballistic missile from North Korea was going to land, you know, but yeah. So anyway, and if you guys are listening to this, yeah, you know I'm right. Uh, so so they hired me to do marketing. And then six months into that, the GM comes in and he said, um, what would you think about being a general manager? And I'm going, I look, you know, kind of looked over my shoulder at him and I said, where are you going? He said, well, we actually hired you to replace me because the one thing that happened 2012, 2013, so this was the fall of 2012, January 2013, the employee-owned company was sold. They sold themselves in December of 2012. And he more or less became a millionaire overnight because he had been with the company so long and it was so vested in the company that boom, he, so he said, I, I don't have to work anymore. Went, well, good oh, shucks. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> so, so, but the bad part of that, losing that employee owned small business, you know, mom and pop kind of uh, philosophy, if you will, of a company when you're looking for government contracts, that's a huge jump. That's a huge deal because the government wants to support small businesses. They right. want to employ right. employee uh, employee-owned businesses, things like that. So the 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 really bad part of what happened on January first of 2013, as far as Schaefer's concerned, in specifically in Dayton, Ohio, is that we went from a small business employee-owned company to a subsidiary of the Metal Mark Company, which is a holding company out of the East Coast, which is part of the Citigroup. So we went from small business to a, a Belimoth, uh, you know, Belimoth uh, uh, company like Citigroup. So, so he Doug comes in and he says, "Hey, you know, I'm, I don't have to work anymore." So sequestration's going on, and we're trying. So now we're competing at a much different level. We're competing as Oh, like we're competing like General Electric or, or you know, McDonnell Douglas or, you know, whomever for these uh, contract opportunities. And I'm looking at the um, task orders for these 11 really smart individuals. Not that the other three weren't smart, but you know, different levels. Uh, they... Uh, I'm looking at when the task orders are going to end, and I understand enough about the... the the uh, budget cycle for the Air Force, and now you throw on, you overlay that with the sequestration threat and what the government agencies were doing. Understandably, you know the under the government agencies had to keep their own people employed, so they're looking at you know contracts are dying on the vine. So I talked to my boss at the time out in Albuquerque, and I said, "Listen, we're go- we're going to be we're going to be out of airspeed and altitude by September." And so he said, "Dad." They'll figure it out. And I went, mm, yeah, I know, but okay. So come August, uh, I was right, he was wrong, and I was told to shut down the office, and I had to lay off a bunch of people. And fortunately, uh, 
the government had already put their arms around a couple of these people and told them, hey, we really like your work. They, they're literally national resources, some of these individuals. And we would like you to come to work for the government. And oh, by the way, your contract's ending. So, you know, <laughs> they like food with their meals. <laughs> so, so that's the direction they went. At the end of the day, there were only about three people that were uncovered, if you will, of that group of 11. And uh, I helped them. Subsequently, uh, as the year went on after that, I helped them find jobs as well. So really, I, uh, there was only one person that really uh, was on the street, if you will. So we shut down the office in September. And then it wasn't two weeks that I got a call from a local contractor in Dayton and said, uh, hey, sorry to hear about Schaefer, but we're, we're really, really interested in you. And we'd like you to come talk to us. So I go and I talk to him and I said, uh, would you consider consulting to us? I'm going, well, I can barely spell consultant. So, <laughs> you know, I was very clear about it that, you know, I, I don't know what you're asking me to do. So here's the deal. Let me go off and talk with some individuals here in the Dayton market that do consulting, that I value their judgment and their opinions, and then let's meet in another week or two. And they said, perfectly fine. So we did that. I did that. I met with a couple of people that I trusted their their uh, opinions, uh, very much so. And uh, so went back in two weeks later and I said, okay, I got it. You know, then that's when, now, now here's my second uh, positive experience with the, with the VA, the big VA, is so now if I'm going to do a, being a consultant, you got to you know, you got to file with the Secretary of State's office. You got to get an EIN. You got to you got to come up with a name, and that's got to be registered. And oh, by the way, you know, anything else you can do to make yourself attractive to the government's a good idea. So I'm the many the, steps of starting a business that very few people oh, are aware yeah, it's, of. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. So so I'm doing all that, and uh, I you know I get on the VA website and I apply for the service disabled veteran owned small business, and it all worked. It all worked fine. You know. I have had nothing but good experiences with the VA, period. But in the course of a six-month period, I went from zero to having all the nomenclatures I could possibly get, you know, and being a business. So, so I go into the company for the second meeting, and I said, okay, I'm, I know what I'm doing now. I, you know, you're going to 1099 me, you know. We're going to do it that way, and, and here's my EIN, and I'm ready to go. And they said, well, uh, the pot of money, because of sequestration, the pot of money that we were going to use, we've had, we, it's been taken back by the larger company. Would you consider being a part-time employee? And I went, uh, well, at that point, now I'm getting towards the end of my severance package from Schaefer, so I'm thinking, Okay. So I said, yes. And they said, okay, right after the first of the year, we'll do that. So now we're, we've gone through 2013, we're into 2014. And um, we went from 12 to 13, maybe. Uh, uh, so I made it, you know, I'm set up, I'm, I've got business cards, I'm, I'm in the community, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, on the, I'm going to uh, Dayton Defense. I'm going to the Miami Valley Military Affairs events. Well, I'm the past president of that. So, I mean, but I'm, I'm, I'm Promotion out. Promotion circuit. Yeah. yeah. I have to get I'm, the word out about yeah, yeah, yeah. the business. So, so uh, 
I'm going along, and uh, come the first year we meet up again, they said we lost our money completely. Oh, okay, well, that, that's not good. So uh, there, that was a very, I think we'll say this 2013, was a very lean year. Uh, but in, so for the first six months of 2013, I was basically unemployed. Uh, uh, and it wasn't until May or June of 2013, almost simultaneously, the city of Dayton and Sinclair Community College reached out to me to establish contracts for me to become a liaison to those entities, both independent of each other, to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to improve the relationship between Sinclair and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, City of Dayton and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So I did that. I did that for about 12, 13 months of that. And then from that, I went to Wright State University under contract with them to help them secure the first presidential debate for 2016. And so how many clients do you have now? Right now I have one. One? Okay, we'll edit that out. (laughs) No, no, no. That's fine. Um, The reason why is, and they're really not a client. Uh, I mean, they started out that way, uh, but... So in talking to the veteran service officer from Montgomery County, who was filling in in Greene County, so I go see him, and we're just chatting and talking about life and all the things I've done and, you know, updating my resume and LinkedIn and all that stuff you're supposed to do when you're looking for a job. And uh, so uh, that went well. Uh, didn't really, you know, there wasn't anything immediate. So so uh, he calls me up about a week later, and he says, listen, I know this is way out of your current experience, but I know we talked about this when you were uh, a kid, kid, relative term, you know, 19, 20, 21, uh, that you worked with your uncle uh, in the summers. I go, yeah, I did. My uncle, he was the fire chief and then the EMS chief for Houston. And uh, they pretty well covered the south, what would that be, southwest corner of Clark County. And uh, when he retired from civil service, he started an ambulance service. And it was him and his son, my cousin. And it was called Baker and Son Ambulance Service. And uh, so I, anything you can possibly think of in the modern sense am, that an ambulance service might do, I did those things. So fast forward to this conversation uh, with the VSO, and he said, uh, he said, Newcomer Funeral Homes in Dayton is looking to consolidate their a uh, mortuary operation to a single location. They call it, they're going to call it a care center. And it, it, uh, they're standing up a, uh, this care center, and they think you would be a perfect guy to come in and help them do that. And I, so what, he said, would you be interested in interviewing? I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, I interviewed with the three folks from Newcomer and Beaver Creek and at their Beaver Creek Chapel. And I literally, not to blow sunshine out my skirt, but I wasn't out of the parking lot. They called me on the phone and says, you're hired. When can you start? So um, so that's what I did. I mean, I was, I was in the, on the ground floor, if you will, of working with Newcomer to help them determine how, you know, just, just providing consulting, but kind of doing it on a part-time basis as a part-time employee. And, uh, and honestly, it was kind of nice because as a part-time employee, you don't have to 
worry about the 1099. You don't have to worry about the taxes. You don't. So I kind of, honestly, I just kind of parked McCants Consulting Group. It wasn't that I wasn't looking, but I wasn't looking. You know, I wasn't hungry to look. So, so it's been a great, I mean, it's been four years with Newcomer. And I, they don't know this, but I was ready to go at the end of 2019. You know, I mean, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt kind of deal. I, you know, the, the transportation routes were established, kind of the, the, the protocols within the, the care center were established, and things were humming along, you know. So I went, okay, well now start to, let's dust off the resume and see what's out there. And then, uh, and COVID hit. Mm. And uh, these are some very dedicated individuals that work in funeral homes and the morticians and the funeral directors they're all hard working they're very focused on 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 taking care of the families and doing the best they possibly can for the families and the deceased but they didn't know much about pandemics and i'm not saying i'm an expert and, and who did right exactly but from a military spec perspective and i think anybody that's in, had any uniform on in their life you know, if you've not spent any time in in uh, chemical warfare entire and understanding chemicals and stuff like that, then I don't know what part of the service you've been in. But at, at any rate, I had that kind of foundational knowledge of, you know, biochem hazards and things and how to right. how to isolate people and things. Because it, 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 throughout my Air Force career, I had, although I, the biggest chunk of it was in public affairs, I was one of those guys that the commanders would typically turn around and say, you're going to go do this. And yes, sir. You know, and uh, so, so there was a lot of deer in the headlights kind of like, oh, what do we do now? You know, so I, I rolled up my sleeves and helped wherever I could. I, I just did, you know, we, we, there were certain tactical things, if you will, immediate things that we did to separate vehicles to make sure there's no possible transfer of a COVID any COVID virus from one vehicle to another vehicle. And because the vehicles we have, they go to, now we had four chapels in the Dayton market. So we had vehicles that are going to all four chapels. So the last thing you want to do is use that vehicle that's been contaminated maybe the night before by bringing a person into our care. And then they're taken out of that vehicle. And then we put whatever we put in the vehicle to go to any of those four locations. Now we've completed, we could, potentially contaminate the whole market. So anyway, that, that's low, that's early thinking. But the biggest, uh, honestly, the biggest challenge and probably one of the things that I'm uh, most proud of is um, other than working with a great group of people, they're a tremendous group of people. The second thing I'm proud of is um, we couldn't get PPE because we were not considered medical. And it took, you want to talk about pushing a wet noodle uphill. It took me probably six weeks. And and PPE, most people know. Oh, that's personal protection equipment. So, right. But uh, yeah, yeah, your N95s. Exactly. And the mask. Your, the, the mask. The, the, the gloves. The, which is why I everyone mean, was making them at one time, right. is that you yeah, did not get them. Yeah, yeah. And so, so it became, you know, I kind of hunkered down. So I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. So. It took a. It took about three weeks, and I had to call in some favors from friends of mine that were Kettering Health and other places. I mean, I literally, uh, a friend of mine at Kettering Health had two dozen N95 masks delivered to us, 
uh, and and I'm always grateful for that 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 he would do that. And I don't feel comfortable sharing his name because I'm not sure he'd want me to. But that got us through until such a time that we could start to get. I mean, we're so far down on the priority list. I mean, restaurants were getting masks before we were getting masks, and it's like, okay, I gotta fix this. So. I tried every avenue I could think of, and then I finally thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to try Amazon. Try Amazon. Why not? You know? And it took me about 10 days, but from a t- in that, at the end of that 10-day period, the, the rest of the story was I fixed the problem. We became a higher priority. We were listed. We were considered a medical entity. And then, you know, the floodgates opened. We got all the PPE we could possibly want. <laughs> and and it kind of it, – it, it, it did not just – take care of us at Newcomer in Dayton, Ohio. Newcomer's a national company. They're in 30 states with over 120 chapels now. It helped the entire industry be able to get uh, PPE. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that it took so long, though, because that is an essential service. It's the end of life. It's end-of-life medical care, exactly, and I agree. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll hear more from John about uh, what he's doing uh, in the Dayton area and his military career. My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed. Kate Weber. These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD. And I have PTSD. I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone. I was still in a war zone in my mind. But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov. And we're back with uh, Air Force veteran John McCants. Hi. John. Yes. Tell us, what was your calling to the military? Well, okay. Um, Let's start with my birth father uh, was Air Force. Uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon how you want to go in this conversation. My mom and birth father divorced when I was very young, and, and we lived in Springfield, Ohio. So I lived with my grandmother and my aunt and my mom, and all three of them and my grand-aunt and my uncle that I already mentioned, they all worked at Wright-Patterson. Now, my grandmother retired from Wright-Pat to take care of me, but they all the rest of them went to work at Wright-Patterson. So I had this connection to Wright-Patterson from a civilian perspective, because, you know, my mom and, fa- and aunt and et cetera worked there. Um, I was never on the base until my aunt married my uncle, and, and I'm knocking wood, and I know you heard that, but uh, <laughs> they're still with me, and they're in their 80s, and uh, my uncle uh, was a brand-new, shiny second lieutenant navigator coming into the bomb wing here in B-52s, and... Uh, uh, that, that was my first experience at Wright-Patterson, coming out to the base, coming out to the open houses at Wright-Pat. I remember being one of the kids up on my uncle's shoulders at uh, in the grassy area across from where the golf course is on the flight line there and watching uh, F-100s fly over our head at an insanely low altitude. You know, those were my early experiences were my, my uncle dating my aunt and... Uh, to the point where we would come to about, you know, he'd pick us up about, well, I don't know, he he was there all the time. It was pretty clear, even for a six-year-old, that they, they were going to get married. Uh, and 
he came to the uh, we came to the base once. I just tell the story because I, I love this. Uh, we came to the base. He was in a bomb wing. We're hanging out at at the time. The officers' club had two pools behind the building, and the Z pool was the heated pool. He literally just and the other one's a straight pool, and it wasn't heated. It was the lap pool. Uh, he literally just picked me up and threw me in and said swim in the in the Z pool, and I did. I swam like a fish. So so apparently uh, he had some for. Sense that I wasn't so going to. That was your experience for learning how to swim. Well, yeah, yeah. I had. I mean, we had a little one of those little, in, not inflatable. It yeah. was one of those little, little aluminum mm-hmm. yeah. with the lined lining, mm-hmm. you know, pool in the backyard, <laughs> and it was baking basically nothing than a large soap uh, bathtub. So you know, I could swim around in there, and uh, so that relationship grew. He he uh, he went, uh, uh, you know. It, he's 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 very much a father figure to me. Bill Pantles, his name, and uh, Bill went to Vietnam three times. He went twice in B fifty twos and once in C one twenty threes. And uh, he's one of my heroes, definitely. And then my mom remarried when I was about eight, and she married an Air Force officer, and his his name's uh, Bob Cortez. Unfortunately, he's passed, and uh, we uh, we started to travel. Uh, we were here. Until I was about uh, 12, and then we went to Eglin Air Force Base, Florida, and then Hickam Air Force Base, Hawaii. Uh, when we were at Eglin, I went through uh, ninth grade and 10th grade there, and that was my first opportunity to put a uniform on. Did you go anywhere um, cold? I mean, you're going to Florida, negative. and no. then you're going to Hawaii. Not until I get into the career. Okay. Once, it, once I get into my career, yeah, I went to, yeah, okay. I, I got uh-huh. stories to tell. I was going to say, yeah, uh-huh. you yeah, had yeah. some plush assignments. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we're down at Eglin, and uh, f- most everybody knows this, but I'll tell it anyway. That that when when Jimmy Doolittle and the Doolittle, Doolittle Raiders were training to take off from the, the Hornet, the deck of the Hornet, they trained at Eglin, and they literally marked on the runway the deck length of the Hornet, and. Uh, the uh, yeah, better to practice there. They practiced. Yeah. They practiced and practiced and practiced. Right. And my my junior ROTC instructor in ninth grade, freshman year, was Chief Master Sergeant Peacock, and he had been part of the maintenance team mm-hmm. to help support the Doolittle Raiders at Eglin. He talked. To, you want to talk about a guy that could just silence an entire room when he started telling stories you're just like you know if you have any interest pretty much in anything in the world but specifically anything related to aviation or history he was amazing and he told stories about you know that the, they would they would take off and they wouldn't make it they would take off they wouldn't make it and they kept pulling equipment out and kept pulling equipment out and finally they got it to the point you know and they've made several movies <laughs> that depict that now but uh that was my first experience in a uniform and, uh, you know, I was hooked at that point. So it, we can't fast forward first in your military career. Where are some of the places you've been? 22 countries around the world. Well, excuse me, militarily, 21 countries around the world. Uh, probably I've been to Georgetown, Guyana. Now, for those history buffs, if you remember back in the very late 70s. Uh, Jim Jones was the uh, the. Instigator. The instigator. Yes. Yeah, I yes. apologize. Uh-huh. To, yeah, I, uh, we'll have to figure out who that congressman is. Uh, but so at this point, uh, in, in this particular story, to uh-huh. go to Georgetown, Guyana, 
I was, uh, one of the things I did in my Air Force career, I was in the Senate Liaison Office for the Air Force. I was the Deputy Chief of the Air Force Senate Liaison Office. So whenever you see a congressman or senator traveling somewhere in the world, there's a military officer with them. And there's usually one or two NCOs that are also with them. And they, they tend to pick from all the services. Every service has a liaison office on both the House and the Senate side. And and, and there, is, there are favorites. I mean, when Senator McCain was, I was fortunate enough to meet him a number of times. Uh, <laughs> some people would say that would be an unfortunate experience, meeting John McCain, <laughs> just because of his relationship with the Air Force. But... That was part of the reason why I talked to John McCain a lot, because I didn't have that relationship. And that, that comes from uh, the fellowship that I did before the, the uh, stint in the liaison office. So anyway, when they, when they travel around the world, they've got a military officer with them. And in this particular case, uh, we were going to – I was supporting Mike DeWine and Lincoln Chafee from Rhode Island, and we were traveling from uh, Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. We went to uh, – Howard Air Force Base in Panama. Uh, we went to Cartagena, uh, Colombia. Then we went to Georgetown, Guyana. And then we went to uh, Port Prince, Haiti. And then we went back to Andrews. And we did all that in five days. Five days. So uh, there's a lot, as you might imagine. you gotta, you got to coordinate with every embassy. You've got to work with the State Department. You've got to work with the, with the diplomatic security. You've got to work with the, the just an entity so we ended up the and and this was mike dewine's was leading the trip governor dewine was leading the trip as senator dewine and lincoln chafee was uh, a guest of senator dewine so uh i'm in dewine's office and i'd been a fellow for him so you know we were pretty casual about this stuff uh but we were in and we were talking u.s ambassador guyana and uh, <laughs> i'll never forget this or, Dwayne's sitting at his desk, and I'm in front of him, and we're on a conference call, and it's the speakerphone, of course. And uh, the, uh, the, the ambassador to Guyana says, uh, you know, uh, Senator, this will be the first congressional delegation to come back since uh, whatever the congressman, Jim Jones, incident. Um, Ryan. I think it's Ryan. Ryan? Yeah. Congressman I, I, Ryan? Okay, we'll go with that. Congress. We'll go with it. Thank you. Um, since that delegation had come, and and I'll never forget the Siren Wine's head kind of snapped up and he looked straight at me and I give him a thumbs up and he goes, okay, well, well, we're looking forward to it, you know. So uh, uh, that was that particular instance. And and it was like, it literally was like going back in time because Guyana had been part of the British Empire at one point. And you get, you land there and uh, there are cricket fields and there's, there's, you know, the, the, the children are out there and they're playing in the, in the white shirts and the long white baggy shorts with the knee socks on. And you're going, man, it, I mean, it, it was like going back in time. Mm-hmm. So you are also a public affairs officer. Sure. And, and where were you stationed as a public affairs officer? The entire time I was a public affairs officer, I was a Wright-Patterson. And that's, an, that's interesting, I guess, in the sense that I graduated from college. They, I got a letter in the mail, and it was from, you know, the Air Force, Air University, Maxwell Air Force Base. We're starting Air Force ROTC. Would you be interested? And I go, I go right down, sign up, boom, I'm in. Um, so back back to short hair, back to uniform on, you know, I did that for my junior and senior year at Wright State. And uh, that's, that's how I got into the Air Force. I got a pilot slot, 
I went to pilot training. It was a 75% washout rate. I have some problems, some scar tissue in my inner ear and my left ear, which I was never made aware of how serious it was until I got to pilot training. And finally, they washed me out. I, I just couldn't keep up because I kept having sinus infections and things like that. And even the flight surgeon, n nothing more debilitating than going in and seeing the flight surgeon and at the uh, pilot training base and having them say, you should have never made it here. The, the pilot's <laughs> largest nemesis. Yeah. Flight surgeon. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I'm a little discouraged, and as you might imagine, and, and I'm coming back to Dayton, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and uh, the Air Force is only offering me, you know, well, you can be a personnel officer. They didn't even offer me public affairs because it was very hard to get in career field. There weren't any opens in Air Force active duty public affairs at the time. So it was either personnel or something else i can't remember what the second one was and i went you know what no i'm not gonna i i'm not interested in either one of those let me try the reserve so um i called the base operator right patterson i said could you connect me with the air force reserve unit and they put me through on this colonel answers the phone i said hello sir i'm lieutenant mckanson williams air force base arizona i just walked out of my faculty board and i pretty well know the results mm -hmm. so i'm looking looking for an opportunity maybe to come into the reserve. And he said, well, tell me a little bit about the story. And I told him, he said, okay, well, we can, we'll, we'll get you here. Let's get you here. So let's do a palace chase and we'll get the flight surgeon to look at you and see, see how bad this is. And thank you very much, sir. I'm very grateful, blah, blah, blah. Hang up the phone, do the palace chase form. Boom. I'm transferred to the Air Force Reserve. I've got orders. Got to write Patterson Air Force Bay. Air Force Base and report to the 89th Airlifts, or, I'm sorry, Fighter Squadron. Boy, those those guys, they're going to be all over me about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, 89th Tactical Fighter Squadron at the time. Uh, that was, yeah, that would have been 83. And so I show up uh, and uh, <laughs> I show up in blues. First mistake. No, not really. Uh, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. So I show up in blues and the, the secretary for the squadron she says, who are you? And I'm going, oh, this is, yes, you know. So I go over and, uh, and, and, and report to the squadron commander. And he kind of looks up and he goes, who are you? And, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is not going well. And then, uh, you know, we, I told him the story. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I remember the colonel told me that. And uh, so from there, um, it got much better really quick. And uh, they, he said, well, the first thing you're going to do is you're not going to be here tomorrow in, that, in, that, in those blues. Go get yourself a flight suit right now. Thank you, sir. So uh, <laughs> I go get a flight suit and uh, get the appropriate patches and everything and, and uh, get a name tag in the works and things like that. So uh, all was good. And uh, uh, the plan was to send me to UNT, undergraduate huh. navigator school. Because at the time, the or the 89th Fighter Squadron and the 906 Tactical Fighter Group was flying the the F-4D Phantom II, mm -hmm. and they needed backseaters, and they they wanted to put me in the backseat of the F-4. So I did uh, do everything I was supposed to do. Flight surgeon saw me. Eh, yeah, well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I've seen. He says I've seen worse. Certainly. I think the the fact that there was such a high washout rate contributed to the fact that the flight surgeon erred in this direction that he erred. And uh, I think we can get you a flight physical that you'd be able to go to UNT. And he said, well, that's great news. So um, 
I'm a traditional reservist, and uh, so meaning I'm part time, and I'm doing that in 83, 84 time frame, and that's actually when I came to work at Dayton Public Access, and I worked as the operations manager here at, during that time period, and then um, and I'm flying uh, in 83, the um, squadron was deploying for a annual tour, the two week reserve training rotation to uh, Alpena, Michigan. And I went with that. Well, the commander called me on the phone and said, hey, do you want to go run my base operations? We need somebody to do that. And I said, okay, I can do that. And uh, so I went up there, ran base operations. We had A-10s. We had all kinds of different airplanes coming. It was, it was, it was not overwhelming. It was entertaining and fun. And I felt useful, and I got to fly. I actually flew twice while I was there, and that was kind of the turning point where they said, "Well, this guy, this guy can fly airplanes. You know, we get, we got to get him back in the cockpit." So all is well. Come back in '83, '84. Uh, um, the commander calls me and he says, uh, "He says I'm going to send you to Denfos," and I'm going. What the heck is Denfos? <laughs> and he says, that's the Defense Information School. It's over at Fort Benjamin Harrison in Indianapolis, and you're going to come back, and you're going to be my public affairs officer. Okay, sir. And he says, in, in next year, you'll become an Air Reserve technician, my public affairs officer, and you're gonna, we're going to continue to fly you. And as long as we have the airplane, you'll get to fly in the airplane. That sounds like a great deal. So... The reason, the bad news, kind of backing up and going, well, wait a minute, what happened to undergraduate navigator school was mm-hmm. when I went in, he says, I got good news and bad news. I said, okay, well, what's the bad news? He says, we're getting F-16s and we're not sending anybody else to UNT because the F-16 is a single-seat fighter and it's a pilot, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, basically a navigator went away. And I went, oh, that is bad news. And he says, but, <laughs> and then he said, you're going to go to Dimfos, you're going to be my public affairs officer, and as long as we have the airplane, you get fly. And I go, mm-hmm. okay, sir. I'm I'm all aboard. So absolutely, that's a, boom. That's a, that's a, like great news. I get good news and I get bad news. John. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> good news is a great story. <laughs> bad news is we had to get rid and go to break. Right okay, right. but we'll be right back. When I retired from the Air Force, I received my medical benefits for life through Tricare. I didn't know I was also eligible for care through the VA. Some of which I pay no copay for or an annual premium. Now I have options I didn't know I had before because of the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159, to enroll. Or visit dayton.va.gov. And we're back with Air Force veteran John McCants. Uh, John, so uh, you're a public affairs officer, not unlike uh, Jimmy Stewart. I would not put myself in the same category as Jimmy Stewart, but thank yes, you. But you got a connection there. You and Jimmy Stewart both. I mean, that's, a, that's another trivia question for us down the road. What <laughs> what date veteran was uh, on caliber with Jimmy Stewart <laughs> being a public affairs officer? Uh, but uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about being a PA. Okay, uh, two quick stories. Uh, uh, one was... Um, uh, when the F, as I mentioned, we, we were flying the F4 at Wright Patterson, and uh, the 40th anniversary of breaking the sound barrier was coming up, and uh, the decision was, you know, way above our pay grades that uh, Chuck Yeager was going to fly across from Reno, Nevada in an RF4, break the sound barrier at the exact time he broke this, this is all in October, break the sound barrier at the time that he broke the sound sound barrier some 40 years earlier 
He was going to land at Wright-Patterson. He was going to spend one night at Wright-Pat. Then the Marines were going to pick him up in a Harrier, take him to some college in West Virginia. They were going to land on the square in this Harrier, have an event there, dedicate a building to Chuck Yeager, then fly back to Wright-Patterson. And then, so this was over a weekend. It wrapped around. It, he landed on Thursday, went. Is this your brainchild? Did you come up with this schedule? No. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just. You're, you're just responsible for making it happen. I, I'm just responsible for making sure he got picked up at the airplane, put in the airplane, picked up at the airplane, put in quarters, you know, put, right. and then say goodbye when he goes back to get in the R4 and go back to Reno. And letting the world know about it at the same time. Oh, yeah. There, yeah, there was. SAFPA was, I mean, Air, Air, the Secretary of the Air Force Office of Public Affairs was involved. There were a bunch of people involved in this. Uh, so my unit commander for the 906 Fighter Group asked me, said, we, you, we want you to be the officer to take care of General Yeager. And I went, well, okay. You know, yeah, like, really? You know, so, so, <laughs> so he comes in, he lands, you know, get him to quarters. Uh, you know, of course he was, you know, he would put him in a suite and he said, this is, this, this, this suite is bigger than my entire house was in West Virginia. You know, it was just laid back and I just, you know, I have nothing but good experience with this. So uh, he, he came, he went. The, uh, there's two pieces of this. When he was leaving to go to Virgi West Virginia, he goes out to the airplane. It's, of course, it's a Marine Corps, and it's a Marine Corps instructor pilot that's going to fly with him. Operative word is fly with him, uh, not fly him, fly with him. Uh, so so they're getting, ready, they're getting ready to climb in the airplane, and General Yeager climbs up, and he plops himself down right in that front seat. <laughs> and, the, and the major, Marine major, looks at me, and keep in mind I'm first lieutenant at this point. He looks at me, and he goes, I, it's, I said, sir, over to you, man. <laughs> I, I got nothing. I got nothing. He, yes. says, he yeah. says, I guess I'm flying in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. Yeager's co-pilot to no one. <laughs> So that's the first story. And then uh, the second, uh, fast forward to when we get an F-16. So this is 89 to 94, I think it was about 92, 93. We're at Nellis Air Force Base uh, for gun smoke. And I'm not, my unit's not. Uh, I was deployed to support the public affairs function there. And, um, and so you might want to tell everybody what gun smoke is. Gun smoke is the Air Combat Command's fighter bomber uh, competition. It's each unit, well, units are selected across the active duty, the guard reserve to attend uh, gun smoke and to participate in fighter, in bomber, air-to-air -air combat, gunnery. All those things are all competitive, and it lasts about three weeks. It lasts about three weeks. So, And, and is that not in an international competition? Uh, it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. so it's other other air um, forces from around the world. Right. Also uh, good point. Involved. Good point. I I can't remember who all was there, but it's three weeks, and a lot of people were in Las Vegas at Nellis Air Force Base. So, at the time, Neil Armstrong was doing this. The I think it was in the second season. I'm not even sure what network this was, but he was doing an aviation show, and the field producer came. Well, let me back up a little bit. So each team that was competing in Gunsmoke had a public affairs component. So there was usually maybe a second lieutenant, first lieutenant, and I'm, 
a major now. Uh, uh, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, and then there's a senior, a, a mid-level NCO, maybe a staff or a master sergeant that are there to support their individual team, their responsibilities to do a story every day about their team and how they're doing and pictures and stuff like that. Well, the the public affairs officer in charge of Gunsmoke was the Fire Weapons Center Public Affairs, active duty guy, but he was off doing a, a daily uh, live uh, cable cast of the competition. So, they, you know, he'd be inviting people in and talking about how they're doing and this, that, and the other. So the day-to-day operation was kind of up to me. So it's something along pretty good. Everybody's doing their stories because if they didn't do their stories, then they got points taken off. And if they got points taken off, then that impacted the team. So nobody in public affairs wanted to be responsible for not doing what they're supposed to do. So they they were all doing their thing. And uh, so this field producer (laughs) comes to me and he says, uh, do you think you might have some time to talk to uh, Neil Armstrong? And I went, well, you know, let me see what I, I said. Are you kidding <laughs> me? I can clear my calendar. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm from Ohio. First of all, let's start with that. And the man walked on the moon. Of course I can talk to Neil Armstrong. So we went into the snack bar area at the Fire Weapon Center. And, uh, and, and, um, and he introduced himself. Very, very, I don't want to say, well, He's just very laid back, very low key, almost bashful to a point. And we sit down, and he says, "He says, you know, I'm out here doing this video, this show." Uh, and he said, uh, "During the evolution of the fire world, I was in flight test, and I didn't, I didn't get to experience a lot of the uh, evolution of of the airplanes that are out here today." He said, "Do you think you could?" Uh, could you give me a, a crash course on the evolution of fighter technology from post-Korea all the way up to the present? And I went, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we, <laughs> went, we went from near parity in the F-6, I'm sorry, excuse me, went from near parity in the F-86 in Korea to fast forward to the F-15 air superiority fired. And I went through the 100 series. I went through F-4, F-16, F-15. And uh, it was an hour and a half. I sat there with Neil Armstrong for an hour and a half. Did I think to get somebody to take a picture of that? No. No. Never did. So did I, and I didn't ask for, I would never ask for an autograph, but I, I didn't ask for an autograph. So, oh, I would have. So, well. I would have taken that opportunity. The, the, end of the, <laughs> the end of the story is, so I go on about his business. He goes on about his business. Six weeks later, I get a tape in the mail. This is VHS tape at this time. I get a tape in the mail of that show. I'm listed as a technical advisor in the credits and a handwritten note from Neil Armstrong. Thank you. Oh. So, so okay, that's that's those are the short version stories. I have many stories, but and we're yes, out of time. Every every public affairs officer does. Uh, but uh, we also want to talk to you about your arm. Right now, we see we're sitting across from you, and I see you've got a wing and a sling here. I do. I do. So, so is, uh, tell us a little bit about that. I understand that um, you know you you went out to the VA and I had, did. had some uh, some work done on your shoulder. Absolutely. This is my second shoulder replacement surgery. Uh, surgery at the Dayton VA for my shoulder. It this is a total replacement. Uh, in this particular case, it's my right arm, which I'm left-handed. Uh, not that that 
really plays into it that much, but it, uh, it's a reverse replacement. So as opposed to be anatomically correct, where the uh, bone at the top of your arm would be the ball and the rotator cuff would be part of your, your uh, uh, shoulder blade. Yeah, that's like five muscles over. Well, a lot of people don't know what a rotator cuff is. It's actually like five muscles that are joined together or, or in com combination that yeah. comprise the rotator cuff. Yeah. And then, so so this is reverse. So the ball was attached to my shoulder blade, and then the rotator, the artificial rotator cuff, was attached to the the prosthetic that actually goes into my arm. And this is the second one I've had. Um, you know, I, I retired. I didn't. I retired in 2010. I was retired in 2010 because after the I, the surgery and everything and the recovery from my ankle surgery took so long. The, re the rehab and, and all that took so long that uh, I basically missed my, my promotion opportunities to full colonel. So I retired out of the Air Reserve Personnel Center in 2010. Um, and how did you find out about the VA after that? Okay, no, it was before. Ah. So, so when I was leaving active duty in 2004, um, I don't want to beat up too much on military medicine, but I have to beat up a little bit on military medicine. I was my the the De Lorenzo Clinic at the Pentagon was taking care of me. I had uh, I had hurt my ankle while I was. This is not a you know there's there's no Rambo here. I was walking to work, uh, leaving Union Station in Washington, walking up the hill to the Russell Senate Building when I was the deputy chief of the Senate Liaison Office. It was a rainy day. There were some uh, granite pavers that I was kind of at the edge while we were waiting for traffic. It was the morning rush to walk up the hill. And my ankle, my left foot and ankle rolled off of the paver, and I heard it pop. And I knew, you know, having played enough football, it never happened to me, but I'd heard people's appendages pop. So I knew it wasn't good, and it wasn't. But because of my advanced age... Uh, the particular people now keep in mind I was 42 at the time and I had uh, I made lieutenant colonel up there so I was still a major when this happened I think maybe not I, uh, it's not that important um, so I went to the clinic and they because of my advanced age they said well it's just a bad sprain and you're gonna you know it's gonna take extra time to heal so you know Tylenol Tylenol wrap wrap stuff like that and at the time the Air Force had the this, this bicycle uh, physical training thing. And oh, yes, I remember it well. Yeah, and every time I did it, my ankle would blow up like a grapefruit, and I'd hurt, and I'd barely make it, and, you know, it was bad. So I'm leaving the Pentagon in 2004. I'm out processing. I had, I had complained enough that they sent me over to Andrews to get an MRI. But the, the communication was, if you don't hear from us, it's just a spring. Bad on me for not being a little more aggressive on that. But anyway, uh, about six months later, I'm out processing from the Pentagon, and you're, I'm out at the I'm at the De Lorenzo Clinic. It's an Army major that's looking at uh, look or out processing me, and you know he's going, "Well, sir, is there anything else?" And I said, "Well, you know, I never really did anything satisfaction on my ankle. I mean, it still hurts. There's something, you know. I mean, I know I'm old, but I'm not this old." You know, he says, well, tell me about it. And he says, you know, I, you know, I went x-rays, advanced stage, blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, well, uh, you know, I went to get the MRI at Andrews. And they said, if you don't hear from us, it's just your ankle. It's just a hard sprain. So 
he pull he he says well let me pull that up and he pulls it up he didn't even say a word to me he gets on the phone he, and the next thing I know now I've got the O six clinic commander looking at the looking at the results of the MRI talking to him and going you must be have an extremely high tolerance for pain I'm going well I guess maybe so. He says, you've got a bone spur, ganglion cyst, torn tendon, torn ligament, all in that ankle. You shouldn't even be able to walk. we got to get you into Bethesda. And I said, whoa, whoa, we got guys coming back from the war. You know, I can go back to Wright-Patterson and get this done. He says, no, we're going to do this now. And so it's the colonel telling the lieutenant colonel, okay, sir. So he got, get, and then he tells the major, get Bethesda on the phone. So he gets Bethesda on the phone, and Bethesda's saying, mm, the early, when's he leaving? You know, when's he going back to Ohio? Or when's he coming off active duty, blah, blah, blah. And it just wasn't going to fit to get me into surgery. So they gave me a continuation of care, made me go, they make, they didn't make me, they sent me to Wright-Patterson Medical Center. I see a captain there, very knowledgeable young man um, in orthopedics. He looks at the x-rays, he goes, man, this is, he says, is there any chance you're gonna go back? Because at this time, the TRICARE regions were separated and firewalled. So the we weren't in the same TRICARE region as Andrews. So he couldn't see the MRI. He says, there's any chance you're going back anytime soon. As a matter of fact, I am. I'm going back for a conference. And um, he said, uh, bring the MRI back. So I did. He looks at it, and he says, sir, we can't do this. We don't have a skill set. He says, we're going to send you off base, and you're going to uh, get treated by a sports medicine orthopedic expert surgeon that's going to put your ankle back together. And I go, okay. And he says, now you need to go downstairs. And I'm going, Where? says, down the basement, and I'm going, what for? He says, you need to go down and apply for VA. So I went, really? He goes, yeah, you need to do that, like now. Okay, so I went down, I applied for the VA, and the rest is history. I've been um, nothing, I've had nothing but the best service possible. And saw my surgeon after this surgery, this most recent surgery, was down in the pharmacy, and there was a guy there, he was complaining, you know, I've been here for hours, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I wanted so much to start and engage, but I thought, you know what, this is going to be a half an hour, 45 minutes of trying to talk this guy out, down from the fact that the VA, you know, is wasting his time. Right. Uh, but I can tell you, I don't know where, what branch of service that individual was or whatever else he did in the, in the military, but... The experience I've had at the VA, the time that that you have to wait is minimal. The service is great, and I literally at this point, you know, I've got Tricare for life. I've got Medicare. I've you know I've got Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. I could go anywhere in the world for medical care, and I'm not. I'm going to the VA, and that's for a very good reason. Great story. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Um, we uh, thank you for your service, and uh, we thank you for uh, absolutely welcome all your uh, all your great stories here with us today. Thanks. We've been talking with Air Force veteran John McCants. Again, we want to thank John for his time today and all the wonderful stories he shared with us here and his experience at the Dayton VA Medical Center. When I retired from the Air Force, I received my medical benefits for life through TRICARE. I didn't know I was also eligible for care through the VA, some of which I pay no copay for or an annual premium. Now I have options I didn't know I had before because of the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. 
Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159 to enroll or visit dayton.va.gov. And that's going to wrap up this session of My VA Dayton. Thank you for listening. We want to hear from you. Love to hear your story. So if you are a vet or you know of a vet uh, with an interesting story to share, email us at myvadayton at va.gov. So until next time, I'm Scott Lease. I'm Greg Tucker. This is My VA Dayton.